Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Well, we've been talking about the seven rhythms of the Christian life. Um, We're in this series. It's week four. We're going to be talking about serving our community. But before we do, I just want to preface for those who haven't been here that we are going to be, uh, we're taking the, the message out of John chapter 15, which is a beautiful passage that talks about how Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and we connect into him. And it says this in verse five, it says, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. So what are we doing when we come here week in and week out? We are coming in to connect with the Lord so that we can go and produce fruit out in the world. That's what we're here for, really. Um, how do we remain in Jesus? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to do some Dr. Seuss for you. My husband wrote this. I love the way his mind works. Um, we've been reading it together every week, so we're going to go ahead and read it together now. I'll try to like go slow. What we do forms what we love, and what we love forms who we are, And who we are forms cravings for what we do, which forms what we love, which forms who we are, which forms what we crave. That is a mouthful. (laughs) So that's the way his mind works. My mind works differently. So today when we talk about serving our community, which is the fourth rhythm of of the Christian life that we're going to talk about, I'm going to tell you and give you a little window into how my mind works, which is this. Community plus service equals transformation. I love math. Two plus two will always equal four. Don't ever try to tell me different. So I'm all about equations. If you want a key to your transformational journey in Jesus Christ, which is what you are called to do, read Paul, read the letters of the Bible. You will find out we are not supposed to stagnate on earth. We're supposed to experience a bit of eternal life as we live on earth. And in doing so, here's a little simple equation. Community plus service equals transformation. If only it were that simple. But really, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, Community is about being. Service is about doing. And when they join together, we have a process that we can choose to enter into or we can choose to ignore. Um, I'm getting to the age 38. I turned 38 this month. It's not that old. It's not that young. I'm like right smack in the middle, really, is what's happened now. I'm middle-aged. And I've got the crow's feet and the gray hair to prove it. Um, But the thing that proves it most to me is how my memory doesn't work properly. I actually was just talking about Brett this morning, or talking to Brett about this this morning, how I have to write everything down. Otherwise, I forget. Um, and it's funny to me how the memories, you know, of our, of our mind work because we don't remember everything. And in fact, sometimes when I really want to freak myself out, I start trying to think about all the things I don't remember. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like a whole part of my like history that is just evaporated. It's just gone. Um, but there are some things I do remember. For instance, when I was 12 years old, I was on the swim team, the Doyle Dolphins. It was awesome. 
And I remember at the end of the summer, we had our big all-city swim meet, and my, my friend Veronica and I tied for first place in the individual medley. I still remember the time, 126.34, burned into my brain. I don't know why. I don't even know if that's fast anymore. I mean, that's, I don't know. I still have the medal in my garage somewhere tucked away. I'll never forget the sound of my dad's footsteps thundering down the hallway when my sister and I were about to get in trouble. Because we shared a room all the way up until my freshman year of high school, and it was not pretty. Okay, we heard those, those footsteps thundering down there. My, my dad was a big guy. It was scary. Um, I still remember the first time I ever had to speak in public as a fourth grader, and the sound of this kid's voice yelling out, her face is as red as tomatoes. And it was, I'll tell you that story another time. Very uh, mortifying moment of my life. Memories are just funny that way. Um, I moved around a lot as a kid. Um, just probably the life of a single mom trying to survive. And, but I only remember one of the moves. I was six or seven, and we were leaving the Capri Apartments to drive across Sacramento and go live in another set of apartments, the River Point Apartments. And I remember the parking lots. I remember the moving van. I remember the crowd of friends and family who all lived in the apartments with us um, coming out and crying and saying tearful goodbyes and hugging. My family was departing community at this point in our lives, and it's burned in my brain. My parents had recognized something. If they stayed, they were going to ruin their lives and likely the lives of their two daughters. They had to leave their community in order to get out of drugs, in order to get out of alcohol, in order to get out of leaving their kids home alone to fend for themselves. I remember that season as being alone in the dark with just me and my sister, and my mom was off wherever, some other apartment. The community that they were surrounded by, even though it was really loving, it was really loving, was damaging. And they recognized something. If we want to say goodbye to drugs, we've got to leave this place. And so they did. They packed us up, and we moved across town, which for me, by the way, might as well have been across the world at age six or seven. Community is powerful. Community is about being, belonging, becoming. My mom was becoming the mom she never wanted to be. So they had to depart. I know that community is powerful because I remember the years after we left the Capri Apartments, I don't remember people coming over at all. They had cut off family and friends in order to pursue a safer life, in order to pursue a cleaner life, in order to pursue a life that would be something that they could give their children someday. Um, I remember that being a very lonely season, um, isolation. My parents were like this little island all by themselves. Um, within a few years, my mom had a full plan for her first suicide attempt. Loneliness is part of lack of community, isn't it? So lack of community is powerful. Then we started going to church. I have no idea why to this day our family didn't have any roots in church. My grandparents didn't go to church. My stepdad's family never went to church. But my parents had some kind of encounter 
with God and said, We're, we we got to go find some help. We're stuck. So we started shopping around for churches. I remember um, I was too shy to go to children's ministry, so I would often sit in a chair, like out there with you, and I'd fall asleep on my mom's shoulder while the pastor preached. So don't fall asleep, please. <laughs> Actually, I kind of deserve it, though, right? <laughs> um, but my parents didn't find a church. What happened was my sister's friend invited her to their church, which happened to meet a couple blocks from our house in an elementary school gymnasium. So my sister and I began walking to church. And eventually my parents followed. And eventually this church became our home. It became our family. It became our friends. Um, community became very powerful. The church was so powerful in the lives of my family. We found new community. We belonged. Community is about being. It's about belonging. But we learned this by doing. We learned it by serving. From the time that we started attending regularly, every single one of us served. And um, one of the greatest opportunities for us was our church didn't have a building. So we had to cart everything into an elementary school gymnasium, set it all up, all the sound equipment, all the stuff that we kind of take for granted around here, all the chairs. I got really good at setting up chairs. And if you've ever set up chairs with me, I'm sorry. I am such a perfectionist about it because chair setup is not a chore. It's a skill. Okay, that's what I learned. And there is only one way to set up a chair, and that is the right way. So you may want to just steer clear of me if we ever. <laughs> but we, we just jumped in with both feet. Um, the church really was our, our community. And um, we did everything. We did all the fun events. We went to the Bible studies. My mom taught a youth Bible study like two years after we started going to church. And we didn't know the Bible at all. Like the first time I came to church and I thought I was bringing my Bible, I brought Webster's Dictionary. I'm not joking. I walked in with the dictionary. I was like, this book is big. Uh, it must be important. And I brought it in and the pastor's wife says, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie, but that's not the Bible. And I was like, oh, it's not? It's got all the words. <laughs> That's how illiterate we were as far as the Bible goes. But, but we jumped in. We served, we attended, we made it our priority. And it changed our life. Community plus service equals God's transformational process. Now, the story gets a little sad. Because after I graduated, my parents were empty nested. And it was interesting for me to watch from afar how they kind of gradually stopped being regular attenders. They stopped serving. Eventually, they started doing church by themselves at home. My mom tried to keep their spiritual life going as my dad said yes and yes and yes to Sunday schedules because you can't beat that overtime. I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that choice. You get a little bit more money when you work on Sundays. And he said, ooh, that's kind of nice. Um, eventually, you know, Old habits started creeping in. Debt became their master again. Isolation seasoned their increasingly codependent relationship. And I, I'm just watching this. They had pulled out of community. They had pulled out of the power of community. Community is powerful. Lack of community is powerful. This is a community. That's what New Hope is. 
We've all experienced the power of community in our lives. We've been transformed it for, by, by it for good or for bad. I'm sure you can recall in your brains a time where you wished maybe your friend group hadn't influenced you so much. Maybe some regret there. Or maybe a time when you had friends who pulled you up. I had two buds in high school, Sandra and Georgie. And I swear if it were not for them, I would never have kept in line with the Lord. Those two people in my community were very important to me. By being here, we dip our toes into this transformational process. We live in a pre-Christian culture. That means that the worldview that says Christ and the way of Christ is central doesn't exist anymore. There's not going to be a system in our everyday world that we can plug into, but we have that here. We live in a, in a world where truth is, re, you know, relative and where we're told that, like, my needs, me, Danya, the little peon right here, is the most important voice that I should listen to. Individualism. We live in a world where we can be near community without actually doing community. Isaac wants me to repeat, repeat that. We live in a, in, a, in a world where we can be near community without doing it. Mega churches, right? Social media. Sometimes I think we shouldn't put our stuff on social media because it keeps people isolated. You know, I mean, there's reasons why we should, but I worry. I worry for people who, who remove and become isolated. Um. We all walked in here with an idea of what the church is, how it should function, how we're going to choose to relate to it. Um, but I think we have to allow God's word to inform us about community and about what it means to serve within community. So would you just bow your heads? Before, before you do, actually, I'm sorry. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 10. So if you want to take a moment and get there, um, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, um, I just come to you humbly because as we sing, you are good. I am not. I don't have the right words, but I know that you want to speak through me by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I know that this message is as much for me as it is for anybody sitting out there. Lord, I pray you would bind our hearts together in unity and that we would be poised to hear your word and know what our next step is and then be committed to really walk that out as we leave today. In Jesus' name, Lord, let your words speak to us in new ways. Amen. Okay, so I'm just going to read Mark chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Oh, don't you just love Jesus? Oh. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. 
Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Throughout the gospel accounts, we see Jesus and his disciples functioning in community. There they are all together getting ready to leave. Community was the vehicle for their discipleship. The advent of the gospel came in relationship. It was communicated within community. We will say that 10 times. I can't. As this passage begins, we see that they're starting out on a journey together. And as they prepared to go, verse 17 says that a man rushed up to them. I just wonder if he was like, oh my gosh, he's leaving. You know, I got to get a piece of this amazing man, Jesus. He has the answers. Um, so I have kind of an issue when it comes to reading scripture. I need to somehow make the, the story come alive. Because remember, this is a historical account. This is not a parable. It's not a story. It's not a sweet little, you know, thing for us to be like, oh, it is history. These people existed. So we're going to give the rich man a name. And I'm sorry, Larry, if you're in here, but I named him Larry. We have a Larry in this church. I saw him beforehand, but I think he's serving right now, which is awesome. <laughs> I told I said, oh, hi, Larry. You're in my message today. Sorry about that. I'm not talking about you. Um, Larry. Larry was rich. Larry was seeking. Larry was unfulfilled. You don't go up to Jesus and ask that big question without having some kind of like soul-wrenching what there's got to be more. Okay, because he had it all, and apparently he realized he didn't have it all. He knew that Jesus had something to offer, and Jesus begins his reply by saying, well, you know what to do. You got this, you got this, you got this, you got this. And he talks about all the doing commandments. Don't kill, don't cheat, don't, you know, honor your husband, or don't commit adultery, honor your mother and father. Um, but he doesn't say, which I thought was interesting, oh, there's Larry, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is a being commandment. It's a community commandment. He doesn't say, love your neighbor as yourself, which is the second greatest commandment, according to Jesus. No, he doesn't say any of that. He talks to Larry's doing. And Larry's like, oh, I did all that. I must, I, must have, I must be okay. And Jesus is like, well... You still have one more thing to do. Go sell your stuff, give all the money away, and come and follow me. And I've always read this story a certain way in my head, right? About being rich and about how it's hard and about blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really apply because I'm not rich, so. But what I, what I read this week, which was really interesting, is how Jesus says, then come, follow me. Jesus invited this man into community. He says, 
come with us. Can you imagine? Jesus. He said, come, come, come on. I'll show you everything you thought you ever knew. Community is powerful. Jesus invited him into something powerful. Now let's pretend for a moment that Larry's story ends differently than what we know it, how, how it ends. Instead of walking away in disappointment with his head hung like, oh, well, guess that's not for me. Instead of all that, he's like, okay, okay, what do I got to do? I got to do a garage sale. I got to get, you know, all my stuff sold. Who can I give it to? Okay, I'm going to go over to the, 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 you know, synagogue, and they'll tell me where to put all the money so the poor make sure and get it. And, and he's like, okay, Jesus, now can you wait? Can you just wait while I get this done really fast? And then he goes, and, and maybe even the disciples and Jesus go and help him, like, get it all done. And then they go along, and Larry becomes the 13th disciple that we never knew about. <laughs> okay? Um, and he enters into this powerful, transforming community. That would be amazing. That's the opportunity you and I have. Okay? But Larry doesn't do this. His having had preempted his ability to be with Jesus. His having had preempted his ability to be a disciple, to enter into community. And I think, you know, I, I sit in the middle of Starbucks preparing this message, and I just started to cry. Because the saddest thing about this passage is that he walks away like a man with no options. He walks away like, like this. And, and the thing is, is, is we read the disciples are amazed. It's harder for, for somebody to enter the kingdom than if they're, if they're rich. They're amazed by that. Because you know what? They think it must be easier for a rich person to, to know God. Because life is easier when you got money, right? What a lie. That is the saddest thing in the world to me. He had all of the options, but he says no. And Jesus extends the same invitation to you and me. And being here is just the starting point. Coming and sitting in a chair for 80 to 90 minutes a week and then saying, I am a Christ follower, is like me saying, I watched the duck game yesterday. I'm an Oregon Duck college football player. I'd get crushed, okay? No. We'd be like, yeah, Chris, you're crazy. You're not, you're, not a, you're not a college football player, Chris. I'm sorry. No, pretty sure you didn't go out there and train with them. You know, we have to say yes to being on the team. We have to train. What? What? Did you say my name? Oh, I thought Jenna said mom. See, look what I do. <laughs> I'm such a mom. We have to say yes to being on the team. We have to say yes to training. We have to say yes to ice baths after a four-hour practice. I'm sorry, but that's just madness. These, these kids are crazy, right? We have to engage. And this here is our relational opportunity to be together. Um, I love this quote by John Tyson and how he describes the church. Listen to this. The church is a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together into a living network of persons who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. Knotted together. Ladies, have you ever had like a little uh, chain necklace 
and it gets all knotted and you have to try to like pick it apart so that you can wear it. And you're just, I don't know if you know this trick, but if you take a penny and you just kind of tap on it, eventually those knots will come undone, but it takes a lot of work. That's what we are meant to be. We are meant to be so completely committed to one another that it would take tons of effort for us to pull apart. That's who we are created to be as, a, as the church. That is the, that is the picture of community that we are creating here at New Hope. The church is not four walls or an institution. It does not fundamentally exist to provide programs or events or a space for worship and teaching even. No, the church is living. The church is a body of people positioning ourselves together to follow Jesus. And we do this by being together. Community is powerful. The second point I want to draw on this morning is that choosing community requires sacrifice. Requires sacrifice. The one thing standing between Larry and eternal life was his unwillingness to sacrifice. And this should be a stern warning to us, really. The Son of God extends his hands to each one of you, and he says, Come, follow me. Come, I'm going to take you on a journey. Larry had to do something extraordinary that I'm not sure I would even be prepared to do. He had to give up everything. It was a huge stumbling block. Where, where are you at with this? I'm asking myself, where am I at with this? Are, are we prepared to give up everything? For Larry, it's money, it's his stuff, it's his you know, way. And we hear the sorrow of Jesus, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Look around you. Look at this place. We are the richest people to walk the face of the earth. The end. And we're not just rich in money. It's not just a dollar amount in your checking or savings account. I'm talking about opportunity. We are rich in opportunity. America is the land of opportunity. That's where we live. The extravagance of opportunity to travel, to be educated, to self-actualize through our professional life, to pursue wealth, to eat. I mean, go down to Lancaster. How many restaurants do you think are just on that strip? I, I couldn't even count them. So many opportunities, opportunities for our kids to be engaged at school and academics and leadership programs and, and sports and drama clubs and choirs. Tons of churches. Pick one, right? Whichever one you like best. Youth groups. You don't like ours? I guess just go to another church's, right? That's, that's the way our world works, right? If you want cheap groceries and you don't mind bagging, you go to Winco. If you don't mind but to spend a little bit more and you enjoy a little bit, you know, cleaner service, you go to Fred Meyer, right? Plus, you can get other stuff besides just groceries there. It's pretty awesome. Or you like the Walmart prices, but you don't like the Walmart funk, you go to Target, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we got one person over there, Target. That's what I grew up calling it. Opportunities and options surround us in our culture. We are rich, make no mistake. And the obstacles that will keep us from investing in the community of God are really, they're just endless. Jesus says, come and follow me, enter my community of disciples, but it will be easier for you and me to go through the eye of a needle 
or for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for us to enter the kingdom of God. This is the reality of what it is to, to live and try to pursue Jesus in this cultural climate. The call to tap into the power of community requires great sacrifice. Um, if we look back at verse 17, it says, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. And I love this because if you keep on reading, it is this trip to Jerusalem that Jesus is going to go hang on a cross. He said, come, follow me, knowing that he was walking to his death. In fact, if you read further, you'll see that he's about to predict his death and the disciples are going to be lost. They don't know what's going on. He invited Larry to follow him during his last stretch of ministry here on earth. Following Jesus means following him into death. And we don't like this part of our discipleship quite as much as we like the grace part. But we are called as much into Christ's death as we are into his resurrection life. In fact, I would say that we cannot experience resurrection until we die. We cannot do that until we die to ourselves. And then we go, <gasps> and there it is. Community is powerful, but it will require sacrifice. The third thing I want to say is that Jesus asks us to serve our community. This is difficult for me. I, I want you to know that. Um, it's hard to talk to a room full of people of varied experiences and stories and say, hey, we all have the same process. But we do. And I don't, I don't stand here in judgment. I stand here in humility because um, I don't have this down. I'm working on it with you. Being in community is only the beginning of our transformative journey because community plus service, the doing part, go together. Uh, back to verse 17 that we just read. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. <laughs> I love this about Jesus. He always lets people interrupt him. And as a mom, <laughs> okay, I get so tired of being interrupted. Anyone? Yeah. Just one, and she's not even a mom, but she knows what it's like to work with kids, right, Peyton? Right. <laughs> Jesus lets Larry, the stranger, come on. Okay, well, we'll just stop. And what really cracks me up about this is, um, do you guys like to travel? Anyone go on vacation around here? Whatever, I know you do. And you pack up and you get everything in your car, like road tripping it. I love a good road trip, but man, packing up to get out the door. Ask my kids, if you want to not see Jesus, come on over about five minutes before we're supposed to leave for our road trip, okay? Yeah, and what you will see is me running around the house. Oh, I gotta get the French press because they may not have good coffee there. And oh, the fan, the fan, I gotta have white noise when I sleep. And oh, I'm running around. Isaac's like in a corner, hiding from me, you know, hoping I don't like cast my gaze on him. Are you helping? Come on, come on. You know, and then Ava's, you know, la-da-da, la little Ava, eight-year-old Ava. And I'm just like, Ava, go to the bathroom. Come on, go, go to the bathroom. And then Jenna's over there going, Mom, you said we were leaving at 11. It's 12. And I'm like, I know it's 12, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, the Bible says Jesus was perfect. 
The Bible says that he knew no sin, right? But I have to think he knew the pangs of impatience, you know, in here. The pangs of like, I just got these 12 guys ready and we're trying to get somewhere, but okay, Holy Spirit, I and the Father are one. You know, he probably had his own like mantra that he had to do. You know, Jesus, Jesus lived fully human. So he experienced these things and he just stops and gives this man his full attention. Oh, Jesus, I need you more. So this is, this is my takeaway from that. Serving our community will interrupt our lives, people. Okay? Be prepared to be interrupted on your, in your process of transformation. If you're not being interrupted, are you even available? Okay? Serving our communities will interrupt our, our, our lives. And, and this is the cool thing. As we experience the, the pangs of impatience and frustration and disappointed expectations and inconvenience, our individualism is eroded. And we're like being polished like marble. Verse 21 um, shows us a little bit about this. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus is like, okay, sacrifice. Sell it all. And then he says, serve. Give it away. Give away the money. It was clear that Jesus' directive for Larry and his next steps was a call to sacrifice and a call to service. If you, or me, Danya, if we are experiencing kind of a stagnant, unenergized relationship with God, it's time to give. It's time to serve. There's nothing more enriching to our relationship to God than sacrifice. Jesus walked that out all the way to the cross. And this is just a little side note about our possessions. God's call to service goes deeper than just giving what's yours, what's mine. It is a call to redeem the mindsets that what we have is ours to give in the first place. Whether it's time or money or gifts, like your talents, you know, we've got these amazingly talented musicians up there. God doesn't want us to view them as belonging to us, as if we're somehow like handing them over to him, like, Jenna, could you go get my purse? I got five bucks in there. God, here you go. From me to you. No. He gave it to us. The word says that he gave us breath and life. This is Job 33, 4. For the spirit of the Lord made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. God gave us money. First Chronicles 29, 12. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. You know who said that? David. And David was stinking rich. And David worked really hard getting stinking rich. And he said, it came from you. God gave us time. 
Genesis 1.14, then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate day from night. Let them mark off the seasons, days, and years. He created time. It's his. God gave us gifts. Romans 12.6, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. God gave you gifts. He wants you to give them away. Our resources belong to him. He reclaims ownership of our hearts through our sacrificial acts of service. If you see somebody around here that you see giving all the time, ask them about it. I promise you it's part of their transformational process. They would be able to look back and say, this is who I was and this is who I am today and this is who I am becoming. Galatians 6.10, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, God's time, by the way, not ours, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those, say these last words with me, in the family of faith. Mm, That's the church, people. And let's be careful not to read this wrong, because when it's talking about everlasting life, we're not talking about salvation here. We're not talking about whether or not you're going to heaven. We're talking about life on earth. We're talking about the transformation and the life that comes from entering into a transformational process. So let's learn from Larry. Let's not walk away with our heads hung saying, well, guess it's not for me. Let's be the 13th disciple. Okay, here's what I got to do. And guess what? Jesus is going to go with you and he's going to help you. It's going to partner with you. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you as you say yes to him. Community plus service equals a transformational process. So yesterday I was playing Monopoly with Ava. I'm really good at Monopoly. Does anybody want to play with me? Isaac won't play with me. Yeah? Let's do it. You guys, you're coming over, okay? Or I'll come to you. I'll bring my board. I'll bring my board. Um, I was playing Monopoly with Ava, and um, she's eight. And man, you guys, she was just making the most questionable decisions. Like watching her plunk her money down left and right, and what is it with boardwalk? Why does everybody want boardwalk? When I was a kid, it was all about boardwalk. And for her, it's all about boardwalk. Boardwalk is $400, okay? You only start out with $1,500. And she's just like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Money, money, money. Who cares? I'm like watching her do this. And I'm like, I wish I could save you from yourself. But I got to win. So. (laughs) Right. She's got to learn. She's got to learn somehow. Right. Okay. Tough love. This is how I feel in the church. Okay. As a pastor, I have watched Hundreds of people try to walk around their transformational processes. And it, it, it just kills me inside. It kills me inside because there's such power from being together. There's such power from doing together. And you know what? People are annoying. Sometimes people don't show up. Try to run the children's ministry, okay? You're sitting there, and it's 10 minutes till, and you're like, I got three empty classrooms. Well, Lord, this is a faith journey. You know what? That's part of the process. We are meant to be hurt by it. It's the good pain, you know? It's the training pain. 
It's the I need four hours in an ice bath kind of pain, okay? <sighs> Sometimes I see people say yes to serving and then life comes along and offers a better opportunity or maybe there's some stress and it's the first thing they let go of. That's a, that's a big story I see. Um, I think we fundamentally do not understand how to prioritize process, especially when, you know, it says, it says there in Galatians, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest. How many people lay it down before they even get there? And it, it is, and I've done it. And then you know what you got to do? You got to pick it right back up. You just got to get back up. Get back up on the mat. Get up, get up, get up. Just get back up. Just keep getting up. Just keep getting up. That's all this Christian walk is. Just get up. Because you're going to fall down again. You are going to be back down on the ground again. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Enter in, enter in, enter in. This is not a one-time deal. This is an over and over and over deal. you got to keep walking through that door. Jesus is waiting on the other side saying, I want to walk with you. Come on, follow me. I want to use another Ava illustration, but I probably need to wrap this up. You know, we were at Walmart looking for a costume the other day for her. And she was getting a little frustrated because she couldn't find that one thing that she had in her head. And then she was, like, getting all upset with me. And I was like, okay, Ava, we're going to come back. We have three weeks till Halloween. We're just going to wait. And then I look behind me, and she's not there anymore. I walk back, and she's, like, standing there. And I'm like, Ava, you need to come with me now. And she's just, and I'm like pulling her and she's like, sometimes that's us. But guess what? Jesus does not drag us along. We have to go with him. You do not see him grab Larry by the hand and say, come on, Larry, come on. He doesn't do that. He's, he, he's patient. He's gentle. He allows us to make our own choices, doesn't he? So on that note, choice, application, we always try to walk away with a handhold of something we can actually say yes to this week. So I have some questions. The first one is, who are you inviting into community? This is your community. Invite someone you've never met to lunch. Expand your circle of community within this church. It's a big enough church that we can get a little bit closed off in our little comfortable circle. Invite somebody in. Invite your pre-Christian friends to New Hope. We have a lot of opportunities here for people to belong before they come to faith. That's unique. Don't take it for granted. Question number two. How are you prioritizing your church community? Consider what keeps you from attending on Sunday mornings. Consider how you might be involved beyond Sunday mornings. Those are two hard questions which lead into the third question. Who are you accountable to? Allow others to speak to your choices, to speak to your attitudes. Be willing to change your priorities. Entering into the transformative process will require a change of priorities. And then finally, um, express gratitude to those who you see serving regularly. 
We actually have an opportunity for you uh, to do that. Kim mentioned it in the communications video. We've got some tables set up out in the foyer with some cards. Um, I just highly encourage you, if you've been served here, write somebody a note. We're going to make sure they get those notes. Um, especially those of you with kids and children's ministry, there are people in that hall serving and laying down their life week in and week out. We all need a little encouragement sometimes, right? To say, keep on keeping on, right? Or the coffee bar or the worship team, or maybe there's a pastor here who sat with you while there was a lot going around and listened to you pour out your heart. Or maybe, I don't know, an usher, they just, they stand there so graciously and they welcome us in week in, week out and serve. They have to get here early. They have to get out of bed earlier than when you just walk in the door. It's a big deal. And this is the last thing I want to say. We are in this together. I said it before and I meant it. I'm in this process too. I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes. I'm getting up. I'm getting up. And I, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 75 years or if you're not even a Christian yet or you just became one. We're all in the process. Let's be a community. Let's serve together. I loved that song. Let the king of my heart be the echo of my days. What is the echo of your life? Lord, I just thank you that um, you give us the opportunity to come and to be renewed and reminded about who you are and who you've called us to be. I thank you for each person that has walked into this room and just whatever part of, of your word penetrated, Lord, that that would be a seed that would sprout and germinate and become a tree and grow. Lord, I pray for each of us as we are in a transformational process that you have called us to, Lord, when we said yes to you. Maybe we didn't even know it. You have such great abundant life for us, Lord. And I just want to extend this invitation if there's anybody here that has not accepted Jesus and you, you say, you know what? I want in. I want to come. I want to follow. If you want to just raise your hand, I'd love to agree with you in prayer. And I'll look around for just a moment and then we'll, we'll finish up. All right, well, let's worship together.